Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. back as we are taking our series called A Walk with Abraham and do a little bit of review for a moment on Abraham's journey that we've covered thus far. But before we do, I want to remind you of a biblical principle that is a biblical principle whether you realize it or not. Here it is. People are placed in your life for certain reasons and certain seasons of your life. And oftentimes, the reason and the season change. And when they change, so should they, those relationships. Dr. Henry Cloud, in his book, Necessary Endings, calls those necessary endings. Let me translate a little bit of that for you and from, from preacher talk to Cajun talk. The guys that you grew up that were your drinking buddies or your little girlfriends that you hung out with in high school and college that are still living like they were in high school and college, just because you had history with them doesn't mean you have a future with them. I want to tell you what I tell young people often. It's so obvious. No one is strong enough to overcome the company of people they constantly choose to put themselves in the middle of. Even if you don't smoke, if you get around people that do, you smell like smoke. No one is strong enough to overcome the influence of the people they constantly choose to surround themselves with. Now back to Abraham, the father of faith. If you remember, God called Abraham's father out of Ur of the Chaldees, where Abraham was born, and he called him to go to Canaan. Genesis chapter 11 says, though, instead of stopping at Canaan, he stopped in a place called Haran, 600 miles from Ur of the Chaldees, but 400 miles from the land of Canaan called the Promised Land that we now know is named Israel. Israel. There, after Abram's father died, Abram also had a brother that had prematurely died. His name was Haran. Ironically, the name of the place where Abram's father stopped halfway to Canaan was called Haran. And I told you that it's always the enemy's plan to get you to stop at the place of pain and loss in your life. And when that happens, you not only lose what's outside of you, but you lose the dreams and the hopes that are inside of you. Abram's father dies, and then the Lord speaks to Abram and says, Get up and go to a land that I will show you. He doesn't tell him where it is. He simply tells him to get up and go. And ladies, I told you, ever since then, men have refused to ask for directions. When he arrives in the land of Canaan, God says, this is the place I've given it to you and to your descendants and to your children and to your children's children as an everlasting inheritance. And today, 7,000 years later, those people live there. This was very challenging for him to get up and leave a place where he'd been, grown prosperous, where his father was buried, but it was also very appealing. 
because he was 75 and his wife was 65 and they still had no children. And if God promised him that he was going to give him a land that would be for his children and his children's children, the opportunity to possibly have children, even though his wife was old, was too attractive to pass up. So they begin to leave. And when they get to Canaan, God says, this is the land that I have given you. But not long after they're there, a famine comes to the land. And if you remember that message I shared with you earlier in the month, it was this. What do you do when you've obeyed God and when you get there, things don't work out like they should? And I gave you some direction. But at that moment, when things didn't work out, instead of staying in Canaan, the place where God told him to stay, where did he go? Starts with an E. Moses was born there. Egypt. He went to where? If you look at Egypt all throughout the Bible, Egypt represents bondage. The children of Israel were there 400 years. Egypt represents bondage. So when a famine came to the land that God promised him, that he was going to give him, he leaves and he goes to a place where there is prosperity. And there, a lot of things that aren't good happen to him. You remember the story. He gets there and his wife, come on ladies, this is a story now. His wife is so fine that at 65, he convinces her to lie and say she's his sister instead of his wife because he's afraid when Pharaoh sees him, they're going to kill him. How many of you know that's a fine woman? I understand. My wife's 60, and it's the same way. But she's not here, so don't tell her that I said she's 60. I keep telling her she's 39. Thank you for one usher clapping in the back. The rest of you men, you're fired. (laughs) When he leaves, when he leaves Haran and goes to Canaan, all he takes is everything that he has and his nephew, who's like a son to him, because his, his brother, Haran, had died, and so he brings his nephew with him. So it's Abram, Sarai, his nephew, and all that they have. Now, in Egypt, when he lies, they actually take Sarai, and Pharaoh brings her into his harem and begins to prepare to take her as his wife. And when that happens, God sends a plague. How many of you are grateful that God gives you grace and delivers you out of a lot of the stupid choices you've made in your life? And that's exactly what happened. And so Pharaoh finds out it's his wife because of a plague that God sent, and he sends him out with servants and maids and all kinds of prosperity, and he and Lot and Sarai and all of their possessions and servants leave. And here's where we pick up the story in Genesis 13. So Abram left Egypt and traveled north to the Negev along with his wife and Lot and all that they owned. And Abram was very rich in what? And, and from Roslyn Capital, from the Negev. And they continued traveling by stages towards Bethel. And they pitched their tents there between Bethel and Ai, where he had camped before. This was the same place where Abram had built an altar. Everywhere God led Abram, when he got there, he stopped and he built an altar. 
And there he worshiped the Lord again. This is interesting. He left Egypt not consulting God. He left Egypt because things got difficult. But when he wanted to get his life right, you know where he went? He went back to the last place that God met him. If you need direction for your life, if you've been out of sorts, if you don't know what to do with your life, can I share with you what you need to do? Go back to the last place God spoke to you and do the last thing that he told you to do. Lot was traveling with Abram, and he also had become very wealthy with flocks and sheep and goats and herds and cattle and many tents, and the land could not support them both. And Abram and Lot, with all of their flocks and herds, were living so close together, so disputes broke out between the herdsmen, their employees of Abram and Lot. And at the time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land. And Abram said, to Lot, Lot, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we're close relatives. The whole countryside is before you. Take your choice of the selection of land that you want, and we will separate. If you want the land on the left, then I'll go to the right. If you prefer the land on the right, I'll go to the left. Read this verse with me. And Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of Jordan in the valley of Zor, and the whole area was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, or beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Spoiler alert. Lot chose for himself the whole valley of Jordan to the east of them, and he went from there with his flocks and his servants, and he parted company with his uncle Abraham. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan, the land God promised him and his descendants. And Lot moved his tents to the place, say it loud, near Sodom and settled among the cities in the plain. Read this with me. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. After Lot had gone from Abram, the Lord said to Abram, Look as far as you can see in every direction, north, south, east, and west. I'm giving this land to you as far as you can see, to you and to your descendants as a permanent possession, and I will give it to you. And your descendants will be like that of the dust of the earth that cannot be counted. And go and walk through every land, for I am giving it to you. And Abram moved his camp to Hebron and settled there in the oak of Mamre. And there he built another altar to the Lord. Now, let me ask you a question. Why do you think God put stories like this in the Bible for you and me? Jude was in the first service. He's cheating. <laughs> he already took the test. He did that so that you and I could read these stories and learn. As a matter of fact, the New Testament says these things are written as examples for us. They're written as examples for us. You see, God puts things in here so that we will learn and not repeat the same mistakes that they made. But let's look for a moment at what Lot forgot, because Lot forgot a lot. We must remember that any mistakes that we don't learn from, we're doomed to repeat. We've heard it said over and over. If you don't understand history, you're doomed to repeat it. 
So what did Lot forget? What did he forget? Number one, he forgot what his uncle Abram had done for him. When his daddy died, Abram took him in like his own son. When you read the story, do you read that Lot was building altars? Do you read that Lot was hearing from God? You know what Lot was doing? He was following Uncle Abe. He was following Uncle Abe. That's what he was doing. He forgot what his uncle had done for him. And Abram loved him and did what all of us as parents have to do when our children get grown. Give them their own choices. Is it hard, Mom and Daddy? Is it hard when, when you've done everything you can do? You've told them what not to drink and what not to look at on a computer and what not to watch on TV and what words not to use. But the time comes where they have to make their own choices. That's a scary place, isn't it, Mom and Daddy? And let me say this to you. If that's you that we're talking about, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. As you will discover next week, this becomes the biggest mistake of Lot's life. It becomes the biggest mistake of Lot's life. Number two, he forgot what happened when his uncle Abram left Canaan and chose to live by what he saw instead of what God said when a famine came. Remember what happened in Egypt? He, he caused his wife to lie. He was afraid. Only God in his grace spared Abram. And though God delivered him, do you know what he lost? Have you ever been under a leader that lied? Have you ever seen your mom and daddy or someone you respected lie? What does it do to you? What do you think happened to Lot? What do you think happened to Lot? There in Lot's eyes, Abram lost his integrity. And were not for the grace of God, he would have lost his wife, Sarai. And this brings us to another important principle. Everything that God allows you to see is for a reason. Even if it doesn't happen to you, it's happening for you to learn. I, I've walked with people through moral failures, through collapses, through addiction, through overdoses, through all kinds of different heartache. And, and when I'm close to those people, people will often come to me and go, Pastor, Pastor, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. So what? What, what, what did they learn out of this? What, what did they say? And you know what I always say to them? If God gives you the front row seat to somebody's sin, failure, and pain, the question is not what is God saying to them. The question is what is God saying to you? Number three, he forgot the wickedness of the people of Egypt. You see, it, the land he chose looked beautiful like the land of Egypt. Lot was out of Egypt, but Egypt wasn't out of Lot. How could anything look so good that it could cause him to overlook the fact that Sodom's people were so perverse and so bad? Greed and pride and presumption always blind you. But can I say something to you? Not everything that looks good to you is good for you. Here's number four. He forgot to ask his uncle Abram what he should do. Look at me. Abram is claimed as the father of Judaism, 
the follower of the Muslims, and the father of Christians. He has access to asking him, what you think I should do? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all com- and rely confidently on the Lord with all your And do not rely, what? On your own insight. Oh, I know. The famous words of every moron. Oh, I know. Well, hey, I want to tell you, I know. No, I just wonder, I saw this the way that you, I know. No, if you knew, I wouldn't be telling you, moron. You say, Pastor, is that a biblical word? Proverbs 10.1 says, he who does not receive instruction is stupid. So moron is the Cajun translation of stupid from the Bible. (laughs) Who said that? I did. Didn't you just hear me? (laughs) But listen to what it says. Trust and rely confidently on the Lord with all your heart. and Don't rely on your own insight and understanding. And guess what will happen? And in all your ways, what? Know and acknowledge and recognize. And he will what? Make your path straight and smooth and remove obstacles that block your way. That block your way. He didn't seek God for direction. He he didn't ask the father of faith for wisdom. He counseled with his three favorite people, me, myself, and my eyes. And it left him with his worst counselor, himself. The most foolish, stupid, moronic decisions I've ever made in my life, I made counseling with those three people. Me. Me. How how could he forget all the blessings that came to him because of his uncle? How how could he forget all the times that, that his uncle built an altar. Every time God spoke to him in any direction, he would go and build an altar. How, how could he miss all of that? How could he be in front of all that, see all of that, watch all of that, watch all the blessings that came on Abraham's life and not get it? What did Abram do? What did Abram do? Number one, and this is what a righteous person would do, Abram let him choose. Say that, Abram let him choose. You know what I discovered a long time ago? Listen to me, mom and daddy. Listen to me, bosses. Listen to me, employee, that you, you, you're worried about the way they look at you at work. If you fight for yourself, you keep God from fighting for you. God is real good. I'm a daddy. And when someone attacks my children, daddy got it. Huh? Huh? I'm from the hood. I know how to hold a gun. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm daddy. How many, daddies, how many remember when your children were little? Somebody bullied your kids. Bullying? We didn't talk about bullying back then. Why? Daddy took care of it. Do, do, do you know what? Look at me. The Bible says that judgment is God's and that he will repay. And you know why he says that to you and me? He doesn't say that as a threat. He says that to relieve you, that when an injustice is done to you, it's God's job to take care of it and not you. (laughs) 
You, you know why Abram let him choose? Abram knew that God blesses people, not places. It is about places. Blessed people bring a blessing with them. God is with them. You heard me say that as we prayed over the mayor. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. What happens? Righteous people in authority bring blessing on the people that they lead. They bring blessing on the people that they lead. Abram knew it didn't matter. You know what righteous people know? You don't follow blessings. They follow you. Look at Psalms 23, verse 6, what it says. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I'm going to be so happy about that, I'm going to go to church and live there forever. When you know that God is with you, you don't follow blessings. Blessings follow you. Here's the second thing Abraham did. Abram chose peace. Say that. Abram. You, you know what? If I was Abram, I would have said, you little punk. When your daddy died, I took you in. You wouldn't have one thing if it wasn't for me. You don't have any kind of a prayer life. You rarely go to church. I build all the altars. I pay all the bills. I fight all the demons. I've spared you. And if you're going to read the story, if you're going to read, he spares him a number of times. And now you're going to go and just choose your own way and you don't have enough sense to ask your Uncle Abe what you are to do? Don't you know people are going to be talking about me for 7,000 years? That's the only part he probably could have said. He could have said that. Wait, wait, wait. Have you ever said that to your kids? But you know what he did? He chose peace. And you know what peace is? Peace is prosperity. Listen to me. I don't care if you live in the nicest house in River Ranch or Sugar Mill Pond or a double wide in on my dream. You know what real prosperity is? Having peace in your home. I pastor the wealthiest people in our state and the poorest. I can tell you the happiest are those that love God and have peace in their home regardless of what their checking account looks like and regardless of what their house looks like. It's peace. He chose, he, he chose, he chose peace. Proverbs 13.10 says, through pride and presumption come nothing but but skillful and godly wisdom is with those who welcome what? Well is vice. What, what should I do, Uncle Abe? Here's number three. Abram's separation from him, from Lot, brought new revelation to him. It brought new revelation to him. You, you know, one of the things that, that I love, I love to tell my children I love to tell my children. I, I, have, I have six children. I've kicked three of them out of the house. I'm a terrible father. Two of them are now pastors. If you want a son to be a pastor, kick him out the house. It's guaranteed. And, and when they moved out, told them it's time to get on their own, make their own way, get out of my pocket. I remember this conversation. Taylor, here it is. Pastor Christian, here's the conversation. I looked at them, 
And I said, boys, you're about to find the greatest revelation of your whole life. What's that? I got to pay for my own cell phone? Yeah, that one too. (laughs) And my insurance? Yeah, that one too. You're about to find out if you're blessed or if you've been living in a house that's blessed. If you're blessed or if you've been living in a house that's blessed. Lot was living in a house that was blessed and his pride made him think it was him. But as I told you in the beginning, entrances into new relationships must be preceded by exits from Owens. But what happened when Lot left him? God speaks again to Abram, and it begs this question. Look right here. Think of the people that are closest to you in your life. Think of the people that you communicate with on a regular basis. Think of the people who you care about their opinion. Look right here. Lot had to leave, and then God spoke to Abram. Who has to leave your life for God to speak to you? Who have you allowed so close that you can't hear God because of the influence in their life? Yeah, they might be relatives. Yeah, they might be a neighbor. Yeah, y'all might have history. But just because you have history doesn't mean you share the same destiny. God speaks to Abram three times so far. When his father died and he went to Haran, when the Lord said, get up and go in Genesis chapter 12. Again, when he arrived in Canaan, he said, this is the land that I'm going to give you. And the third time when he was separated from Lot. Each time there was a separation for him to get a new revelation of the voice of God. Remember, new exits bring new entrances and new encounters from God. Here's the fourth thing that Abram learned. The Bible says Abram lifted up his eyes to the Lord. Lot lifted up his eyes towards Sodom. In the end, Abram followed God's promises. In the end, Lot followed his preferences. Genesis chapter 13, 12 and 13. I want to remind you, we read them. So Abram settled in the land of, which was the land God promised to him and to all of his descendants, which included Lot. Lot moved his tents to a place near and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. What do we learn from Abram and Lot today? Abram built altars. Lot built Tents are the place where you meet people and you hold on to things. Altars are the place where you meet God. Do do you have an altar? You you say, Pastor, I come to church. That's great. That's great. That's wonderful. I'm glad. Okay, but an hour and 15 minutes. You know you get mad when it goes an hour and 20. An hour and 15 minutes isn't going to save you from almost 200 hours of the rest of your week. Everybody needs an altar in their home, a place where you get up in the morning, where you meet God, where you open up that word, where it speaks to you. My son Christian introduced me to preach at his church where I preached three services and Michelle and I did a a marriage retreat for them on Saturday. And when he introduced me, here's what he said. 
He said, there are two people that matter that I please them in my life and make them happy. One is God, and the other one is the person I'm going to introduce to you. And he said, I want to tell you why. Because I remember being out partying all night long, and I'd come in at 5 o'clock in the morning, and my daddy was up in that word. And he'd look at me, he'd hug me, and send me up to my room. I knew what he was doing. I knew what he was doing. Do you have an altar? It might be in the morning, early with your coffee. It might be by your bed at night. Everyone needs an altar, a place where you can regularly meet with God. Abram built altars. Lot built tents. Here's the next thing we learn. We're all a sum total of all of our passions and preferences. You know, you never really know what people want to do till you give them a choice to do what they want to do. Remember how when your children, your teenagers were growing up and you were the fence, so they're always kicking against you? Why can't I go? Everybody's going. Everybody's going to be there. You know what I always say? Uh-uh, everybody isn't. I know one person not going to be there. <laughs> Daddy, no, everybody. No, time out. I promise you, everybody's not because you're not. <laughs> Parents, am I talking telling the truth? Come on, clap if I'm telling the truth. Everybody, no, not everybody. I guarantee you one everybody not going to be there. You start going, everybody. Here's what we learned. Lot was ultimately drawn to a place that represented his own desires. All that prosperity that he got without the altars in his life caused him to fall in love with what he saw instead of what God said a decision he would deeply, deeply regret. Why did Lot make such a bad decision? Over sheep and camels and goats? Over stuff? Over stuff? If, if, if Lot could read this story right now and know how it would play out before he made the choices, would he do the same thing? Not at all. Not at all. Next, Abram left his children and his children's children a lamb for over 7,000 years. That's why there's a war today. God gave them this land 7,000 years ago. It was theirs for 5,000 years. They were displaced for 2,000 years. And in 1948, by prophetic promise of the word of God, they were given back that property and it's been theirs now for 75 years in spite of all the people around them trying to get them removed from the place that God gave Abraham 7,000 years ago. I'm done. I, I, Michelle and I went last year to Israel. We call it the Holy Land. You know why it's called the Holy Land? Because of Abraham. Because God said, I will give this to you as an everlasting possession. A great Christian leader called me for wisdom on what he should post the other day. I told you his name, everybody knows him. And he said, Pastor, he said, he said, don't you think now since we're Christians, I mean, 
God said he gave that to them, but then Jesus came. I said, God said it is an everlasting possession, and I have everlasting life. So everlasting means? Thank you. It means everlasting. It's theirs. It's theirs. But when we went, it was, it was amazing. It was amazing seeing where Jesus was born. It was amazing. When we, when we got to that, all of Michelle's Catholic roots came out. Literally. She said, this is the tomb. She literally stood, <clears throat> dropped down on her knees, started making the sign of the cross and kissing the place where it was. I'm like, baby, do you know how many people have kissed that? This is COVID. I don't even believe in COVID. I believe you could catch it, kiss it, all that. Look, listen. How many of you have been to the Holy Land? Okay. We have several trips lined up that we're going to the Holy Land. Dr. Scott was going to be leading some. How many of you want to go to the Holy Land? Okay. How many of you, it's been a dream of your heart to go to the Holy Land? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you have ever dreamed about a tour to Sodom and Gomorrah? Sir, watch this. Look at me. 7,000 years later, people are still dreaming of going to the land that Abram dreamed God would give him. And when you find out next week, do you know what moving to Sodom cost a lot? A lot. It cost him everything he had. Next week's message is remember Lot's wife. Jesus only said twice in all the Bible, remember. One was communion. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And the other one is he said, remember Lot's wife. And it's not because he read the story in the Bible. It's because he sat in heaven and watched it all unfold. And he said, I want you to learn from that so that you don't do what she did. So I want to close with some practical application to our lives. How many of you have relationships that are in your life that it's time for a necessary ending. A necessary ending. It doesn't mean that you take them out of your life. It means you take a step back. Because though you have history, y'all don't have the same destiny. They're not going where you're going. They're not going where you're going. Many of you have prayed, God change me. Change some of the habits I'm struggling with. Look at me. They won't change till you change the company that you're keeping. They won't change till you change company. So you need to take a step back. That's one question. Number two, how many of you are parking near Sodom in an area of your life? Maybe it's with alcohol. Maybe it's, you know, I, I go to the clubs, I just don't drink like they do. Maybe it's, I mean, I, I'm around them, but I, I don't, I mean, I'm not partaking in that. Look at me. Do you know what you call homosexual sex? Sodomy. 
That's where it comes from. Do you think in your lifetime that Lot ever thought he would be connected with that after being Abraham's nephew? Some of you need to take a step back from some habits, a step back from some relationships, a step back from some things that you've tolerated and what you see. Look at me. I don't watch R-rated movies. Well, Pastor, don't you think that's legalistic? I can't see naked people and not affect me. Well, Pastor, you know, you just don't understand this generation because I've been raised around it all my life. Well, you're perverted and you've been raised around it so long you think it's normal. If seeing a male or female unclothed doesn't bother you, you got other issues that bother you. It's called purity. And then here's the final one. How many of you say, Pastor, I don't have an altar, but I need to build one. I need to build an altar. I need to build a place where I meet God. I need to build a place where I can meet God. Well, when things are good or when things are bad. I'm still there in my word. I'm still there meeting God and my children are watching me and my grandchildren are watching me and one day they know when things get difficult and times get hard. They don't go for tents and people. They go for altars. You know what my goal is as a pastor? It's not to get more people here on Sunday because I can't preach more than four times. On a Sunday. That's not it. My goal is to equip you so that the day you stand before Jesus, you're ready to meet him. You're ready. Look right here, that you know he loves you with an everlasting love. That he loved you in your stupidity, in your sin, just like he did me. But he loved us enough not to leave us there. Not to leave us there. Would you bow with me right now? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that from a life that was lived thousands of years ago, you can speak so clearly and absolutely to us by your Holy Spirit. And right now, for just a moment, I want us just to bow our heads for 30 seconds. And I'm going to ask you some questions and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. What relationships do you need to take a step back from? It's a necessary ending. They've had too much proximity to your life. Too much place in your life. Secondly, what habits have been you camping near Sodom? What habits? You, you, you know they're not drawing you closer to God. You know they're unhealthy. You think you have them at bay. But evil always grows. It never dissipates. And then finally, maybe you hear you say, Pastor, I need to build an altar. 
I need to build an altar in my home. A place where I meet God. A place where I meet God. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I know which one of those three things I need to do or all three of them that I need to do. If that's you, raise your hand. All across this building. Come on, raise your hand. All across this building. You know. Okay. Holy Spirit, you see each hand. And today, their vows they're making are to you. It's not to me. It's not to a church. It's to you. You're the one that lives inside of them, Holy Spirit. Jesus, you're the one they're going to stand before. And finally, with every head bowed and every eye closed, Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? Well, the people you saw get baptized today recognize they were spiritually dead and that every person born since Adam and Eve has been born spiritually dead. Mother Teresa was born spiritually dead. Billy Graham was born spiritually dead. And so were you and I. The Bible tells us in John 4, 24 that God is a spirit and the only way that we can worship him is in spirit and in truth. Are you born again? Pastor, I've been christened, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a good start, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. Unless you're born again, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. And I want to know God. I want Christ to come and live inside of me. I want a new beginning. I want to know my sins are forgiven, that I'm going to fulfill God's purpose for my life in knowing Him. If that's you, I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, if you want to pray to be born again today, it only happens once, just like the day you were born, then I'm going to ask you to lift your hand high so I can pray for you and put it back down. One, God brought you here. No, it's not an accident. No, it's not an accident. And it's him that's been drawing you. He's not mad at you. He loves you with an everlasting love regardless of where you're at and what you're doing and what you've been doing. It's you he's after, not what you've been doing. It's you. Two, he's been waiting a long time. I get tired after I wait 10 minutes for somebody. We all get tired after waiting an hour. God has waited years for this moment. And now's your moment to be born again. For you to become spiritually alive and know God. Three, if that's you, raise your hand high. I want to pray for you right where you are. Raise it high right where you are. Pastor, pray for you. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Okay, last 10 seconds. See all those hands. Anyone else? Pastor, I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. If that's you, raise your hand and wave it at me right now if you didn't raise it already. Yes, yes, I see. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, 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 I see all those hands. Okay, you can put them down. Church, let's pray out loud. We're gonna join you, those that raised your hand to be born again. Let's pray out loud together. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, 
in my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. And I'm born again today. In Jesus' name, amen.